to episode 65 of Friends and Film, a podcast talking about movie news and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. In this episode, we're going to talk about the IT trailer, Joss Whedon directing Batgirl, updates on the future of Star Wars, and more. All for your views, Ghost in the Shell. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends and Film. Josh? Woo! What a week, man. There was so much happening out there. Yes, it, it really was. How you doing? I'm doing very well. How awesome. about you? I'm doing great. Uh, and welcome, everybody. Uh, back again so what wasn't happening at CinemaCon this week there was so much uh no future dc slate that i was hoping for uh, or fox right. updates yeah but. but you know we know deadpool 2 is in the works we do. and uh you know after that heart pounding logan movie yeah you know i i need i need some time to settle down from the fox stuff yeah. but what about your week i mean in terms of movie watching what'd you get done uh, I watched Chaplin with Rob Downey Jr. Um, oh, okay. How so is that? I think the movie is fine. Downey is great in it, but the movie is just like, it spans like his entire life. And I wish it would have focused on like just one specific part, like him starting his acting career and then all the way to the end, or just when he wanted to start directing and starting his own like producing company to the end of that and where he's like recognized at awards and stuff sure instead of here he is as a child here's the beginning of his acting career here's the end of it here's him directing here's the end of his life like it's just too much so funny you were talking about that that came up in like our history class we were talking about him and how he identified with like marxism and whatnot Uh like hey i need to see that movie it's got rdj in it it's been on my netflix queue for like ever and i think it actually went off netflix today and so i was like i was like going through my next week, it's like what leaves at the beginning of April, and it was that. And I was like, okay, I need to watch it just so I can get it in now. Um, also watched Need for Speed, the Aaron Paul movie. Yeah, like bad or really bad? It's I don't. It's in between bad and really okay. bad. But I'd say it's more bad than really bad. Um, even though like I don't know, like it's a movie about car racing and car chasing. I like the end of the movie. As somebody who's played like most of the Need for Speed games, except for like a lot of the newer stuff, okay, yeah, um, or like a lot of like the original Need for Speed, the Undergrounds, um, like I played all those as a kid, and like the, the final race, you're like, oh, that like kind of looks like this part of this one map, and like you kind of get like a little bit of flashbacks there, but the rest of the movie's just like so boring, and like some of the racing parts are cool, but the story's not good, and like they're just like in a car the whole time, so it's like. There's only so much you can do. Right. <laughs> so, there's not enough. There's not really dynamic or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, not as good as I was hoping it would be. I, you know, I didn't have very high hopes for it anyways. And then last night, I introduced my sisters, my two youngest sisters, Emma and Riley, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe hey. with Iron Man. Um, so they both liked it. Uh, well, Riley loved it. Emma thought it was good. Um, and it's just crazy that movies, like, it'll be nine years old in like a month. And, like, it still holds up so well. Uh, I wish they would go back to Downey actually wearing the practical suit at certain points because, you know, in Civil War and everything, you can tell that it's just, like, that's all CG. Like, that suit is definitely not there. And, like, I wish they could get back to that. But, I mean, as the movie that kicked it all off, like, it's it's smart. It's also pretty dark and, like, adults. Like, yeah, it's that, got... Like, it's, it's very different from what you, like think the marvel cinematic universe as now but it also has all those same elements so i think it's a great movie it's always gonna be one of my favorites um 
And yeah, for what about sure. you? Uh, I only got one movie in, and it was inspired by a late-breaking trailer that we're going to talk about uh-huh. soon, and it was the original uh, It series. Okay. Um, and it, I just have to say about this is Tim Curry as Pennywise, the, the, the killer clown, he is so good. And like you probably know him from the bell, being the bellhop in Home Alone 2, mm-hmm. Lost in New York, or uh, Muppets Treasure Island. But I, I, I forget that they were TV in the nineties was really violent yeah. and um, they did a good adaption of a Stephen King book. And I can't wait to talk about this next iteration. Yeah. I've, I've not seen the original it. So it's yeah. something I'll have to get to eventually um, before we see the remake. And I don't know if we'll review it at some point, but it mm-hmm. all depends on scheduling, but uh, we'll get to that trailer in a little bit, but we do are going to start with the flyby. We just give some quick hits on some news stories. If you want to skip straight ahead to our review of Ghost and Shell, there will be a timestamp in the description. But to start all off, we have an official title for the Wreck-It Ralph sequel, and it is now titled Ralph Breaks the Internet, colon, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Ooh, I see what they did there. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a little long. I think you could just go with Ralph Breaks the Internet or some variation of that because that's a very long title but Definitely. i like where this franchise is going yeah so many opportunities for uh internet characters or plays on like digital universe logic i think it's gonna be awesome yeah uh and we also this week from variety we got a report saying that o'shea jackson jr is going to be joining godzilla king of the monsters uh he was the breakout or he's one of the breakout stars of strata compton the other two, Corey Hawkins and Jason Mitchell, were in Kong Skull Island. So uh, they're obviously keeping Strata Compton within yeah. this monster verse. And I think this is a great addition to that cast. It's so scary how much he looks like Ice Cube, too, oh, yeah. isn't it? I mean, like, he sounds just like him and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, especially when he was like, have you seen Strata Compton? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Loved so, when it. He, especially when he's laying down tracks, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, Unless is, they were actually playing. Right. I mean, they could have, but I mean, I could not tell. Yeah. I think this is great too. Uh, he's a fan. He was a fantastic actor in that film and uh, hopefully he does it again in this one. Yeah. Even though I'm still not going to Godzilla King of the Monsters for the humans. I'm right. going there for Godzilla versus all these monsters. Um, so it's cool that they have him, but I hope that Godzilla is the main character. <laughs> not all these, but not like for sure. Kyle Chandler and his family with Millie Bobby Brown and Yvonne Strahovski or whatever. And, uh, or not, it's um, not that she's in Predator. Um, right. The girl from Bates Motel and Source Code or whatever. She's the mom Vera Farminga. Um, yes. Anyways, uh, we'll move on to Mission Impossible 6. Showbiz 411 reported this week that uh, Jeremy Renner is not returning for the sixth movie, which seems like it's pretty much confirmed because at CinemaCon, they're doing their presentation. Uh, Jeremy Renner's name was not listed among the cast that would be returning. It's because of his scheduling conflicts due to his Marvel contract with Avengers Infinity War and everything. So you're not a, f- you haven't seen the Mission Impossible movies. So you obviously don't probably care about this. Right. I don't know what I'm missing. If anything, does he, has he been in the series from the start? No, he joined in Mission Impossible four, uh, about the same time where he tried to take over the Bourne franchise and he was supposed to take over Bourne. Obviously, that didn't happen. Right. And then he was brought in for Mission Impossible uh, 4 to take over Mission Impossible after Tom Cruise left. And after 4, he was basically put in a desk job for the fifth movie. And now he's out. So, Go uh, figure. 0 for 2 for Jeremy Renner trying oh. to take over a franchise. guess he's sticking to Hawkeye, what he knows best. I guess so. Um, and sticking with another franchise in Pirates of the Caribbean... We uh, have confirmation, finally, that Brendan Thwaites 
is in fact playing the son of Will Turner, presumably also the son of um, Karen Knightley's character. So there we have it. His name yeah. is Henry Turner. They showed it off in like a little bit of like a sizzle reel marketing thing. Right, kind of like film. behind the scenes yeah. thing. It was weird, very it, weird. Yeah, I, I was, it was weird for them to do it, but I will say it did actually pique my interest more for the movie. I bashed it for looking like a CGI heavy cash grab, mm-hmm. but there are some massive practical sets and uh, effects uh, also in there along with that reveal. So I'm kind of looking forward to it more. Yeah, and then the, at CinemaCon, Disney played the entire movie for everybody there. Uh, so early reactions have come out and people are like, I mean, it's basically the first movie, but that's not a bad thing because the first movie for most and many and almost everybody is the best of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So it looks like it has basically the same plot with mm-hmm. Orlando Bloom Jr. and Keira Knightley Jr., but yeah. you still have Jack Sparrow in there. So, <laughs> I mean, if it can reclaim some of that glory and fun, then I'll be a lot more interested in Pirates 5. Yeah. But as of now, this doesn't change anything because I already thought this was going to happen. Right, exactly. Um but something I did not see, if we, I did not know if it was definitely going to happen or not, was Letitia Wright's role in Black Panther. Disney confirmed at CinemaCon that she is playing T'Challa's sister and princess of Wakanda, Shuri. I don't know anything about her. Is she going to be a big part? Well, the inter- I think eventually she will be. I think that's why this is kind of a smart, you know, kind of quiet currently casting. But, you know, in 10, 15 years, we'll be like, oh, we've seen Shuri like grow all the way. So, like, in the comics... She's obviously, you know, she's the princess of Wakanda while T'Challa is ruling Wakanda. And after a while, you know, T'Challa is more interested in being part of the Avengers and traveling across the world, not necessarily being a political person. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, And that's what she's like totally interested in. So I think she, Letitia Wright, I haven't seen her anything. She's supposed to be one of the leads in uh, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Um, So if she's going to be a lead in that and also have a role in black Panther as like a potentially very big role moving forward. She could have herself set up very well in the future. Um, and I think this is just a smart laying the groundwork move because Chadwick Boseman's like 40. So he can't play black Panther forever. Really? Yeah. He doesn't, wow. he doesn't look a day over like 25, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how long he can play that role. He only signed a five picture deal to start. So maybe at the end of black Panther three, T'Challa dies or something and then Shuri when she's like she'll be like 30 something probably by Black Panther 3 mm-hmm. she can step up and take over for the next 10 years wow that's crazy well alright bring it on though I yeah. love the idea of already pre-establishing replacements or um, just characters that can grow into their roles right because then cool. like it's not this way we don't have to go into like Black Panther 3 where they're like oh well we we're not going to stop making Black Panther movies. So, um, yeah, it's like it's like for Iron Man, they didn't ever establish a replacement for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So now they're like, well, we can't really make an Iron Man four without Downey, right? Uh, unless we do like a Don Cheadle led War Machine movie, and mm-hmm. he's Iron Man for a movie or something. So, where does that go? Like, I think this is just smart because it allows them to continue the franchise forward with a different like person. Maybe you can do the same with Captain America, Falcon, or Bucky take over. You could do the same with Thor, maybe, if Valkyrie takes over and it's Tessa Thompson's franchise then. Like, I think Marvel's just been subtly laying the groundwork for a potentially completely new leads in all their franchises, but it's still, you know, within the same continuity. It's this, it's different characters, but it's the same persona. Yeah, very cool. Um, moving to trailers, 
we did get our first trailer for it. What do yes, you think? Yes, the long-awaited uh, remake or re reimagining yes. of uh, Stephen King's film, and I thought it was I thought it was great. Pennywise, played by Bill Skarsgård, looks terrifying. Oh yeah, I mean. He's not a he's not so much more of a, a modern day '80s colorful clown than he is somebody that was running around in like the medieval ages mm-hmm. and terrorizing kids or trying to make them laugh, and it just works so well. Um, and it was so cool to see uh, Finn Wolfhard mm-hmm. in there from Stranger Things. I think that he needs to be front and center in marketing and things like that oh, because yeah. anybody that saw Stranger Things fell in love with that cast of kids. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I noticed. It looks like they're keeping it in the same era because in the book it's spanned over, uh, I think it's like 30 or 40 years mm-hmm. from when these were kids and then they come back to this town, um, Derry, Derry, yeah. yeah, and confront the clown in the end. And it looks like they're keeping it there, and it just looks creepy as heck. I'm like, I, I don't even know what's happening with the door and all those hands oh, coming yeah. out of the freezer, but it, it just absolutely terrifying. And then, like, the closing shot of him, like, saying, come float with me, and then Pennywise <laughs> coming right out of the water. I've never been more excited to see a horror movie than I have today, or this film, like, which is... I kind of unheard it for me. I usually mm-hmm. don't get hyped about it. Uh, what about you? You haven't seen anything before. Haven't read the book. No, either, I, I I've no attachment to the it franchise or anything, but I like, I've known a little bit about this just from kind of knowing stuff, like going through, you know, the pre-production process and everything. And, yeah. uh, Carrie Fukunaga was originally supposed to direct it and it was supposed to be two parts. Mm-hmm. I think it still is supposed to be two parts. And like, so this is the first part. I think they are going to follow what you said, like the first movie is about where, this first part is all about the kids and then the second movie is going to be like a whole new cast with these same characters as adults coming back to fight the clown and everything. So I'm not a horror guy. I think it looks more thriller than horror. Like based on like the trailer, it didn't look like I didn't jump or I get like scared or anything from it. But, uh, not even at the drain scene. No, because like, out. cause I, I knew it was coming okay. cause I, I, I didn't watch it until like an hour before we started recording. So like, yeah. it's been a couple of days. So I, like, I, I pretty much knew what was going to be in the trailer. So it could be a completely different experience actually, uh, in the movie. But I mean, I liked it. I, I, like you said, I liked seeing Finn in there uh, as part of the cast. Bill looked really creepy as Pennywise. Um, and like the one, the one shot that like, or the one moment that was like, uh, that I don't like that at all. Like as like, that's just, that's just too weird. Was the, uh, the flip through projector thing. Oh, where yes. then, like it starts like the hairs moving apart. And then like you see Pennywise face like, Nope, mm-hmm. Nope. That is, that is too weird, man. I don't like that. Um, but it did make me interested in seeing it and I was not interested in seeing it. Yeah. Before it, time. It's been, yeah, it's been a development nightmare and I'm just so excited to, uh, I'm so, so glad it's, you know, on track now and we're staring it down coming September. So, is that soon? Awesome. All righty. Uh, we also got a trailer, our second trailer this week, for Valerian, the City of a Thousand Planets. What did you think? Uh, yes. It, it made making space look like the Wild West, and it's got a flyer fi- uh Firefly feel yes. to it. Um, or if you saw the film Serenity, same universe is there. And I just love the dynamic that it seems to be between um, Agent Valerian and Lorian. And I just looks like a CGI spectacle. I mean, everything looks beautiful, and I've been blown away by almost every visual. 
and I'm super excited for it. What about you? I think this wasn't on your anticipated list. No, I don't think it's still still not not there. No, I just don't know what this movie is. Like, I don't think Luke. I mean, I haven't seen like I know. I'm pretty sure Leon the Professional is Basan's best movie according to most people. Um, I I don't like the Fifth Element. I just think it's too. It doesn't make any sense. It's too bizarre. I feel like that's kind of what this movie is going to be as well. If it's not, then maybe I'll actually like it, but I just, I don't know. I'm just not really interested or excited for this movie right now. Uh, I do think like the trailer, like everything looks cool. Like it looks good, but nothing's grabbing me. Like I like Dane DeHaan. I have no particular interest in Karen Delevingne as an actress. Uh, so from the two leads, I'm split. Okay. <laughs> and the director is not a you know, a plus for me or anything. So not even Lucy again. I think Lucy's a very flawed film and I only enjoyed it because it was like, I really like the action stuff in there. Okay. Um, and I don't know what this movie, like, I think it could be that, but at the same time it is just so CGI heavy where it could just be this complete CGI mess. So and, you're worried about like plot or just, there's no, yeah. For Cause you. yeah. Cause I just, I mean, they're like, Oh, well, there's a mysterious figure is trying to take over and you have 10 hours. I'm like, there any other anything else you can give me <laughs> okay like i just i don't know anything about it so I, I mean as a trailer it just doesn't make me more interested to see it so i'm pretty much out where i was before i saw the trailer well hope, maybe the hopefully the running up the run up to the mar- the final film will be be enough for you yes but i think it looks fantastic uh a trailer i do think looked really great was the second trailer for warfield pan of the apes uh i talked about before how much i like this franchise or this the the new franchise that's uh, started mm-hmm. uh, with Rise, and I think this this trailer was as a war film. It like it delivers, but it also it's very quiet in certain points. Uh, it's weird that like you're complete like at least for me, I am completely on the side of the apes. Caesar, I would follow him into battle in a second because <laughs> he's just sure. he's just great. I mean, all the visual stuff, the monkeys just look absolutely amazing. Like you could, like it looks like they are real. Like blows jungle book out of the water and i think jungle book has some of the best visuals i've seen in a movie in the last 10 years like it's insane and like woody harrelson as the villain he looks great again and i mean i'm just i'm so pumped for this movie and it makes me even more excited for a matt reeves directed batman yeah sure probably more so than a ben affleck version oh really okay well, i mean great. i mean Again, it all depends on how on how well this movie delivers. But if yeah. it's as good as this trailer, then I think this is going to be a movie that'll be in my top ten, top five at the end of the year. Maybe I could, I would love to see. Again, this is all hypothetical because yes, I haven't seen the movie, but it's based on prior experience. Yes, though. but like Matt Reeves getting a directing Oscar nomination, the movie getting a Best Picture, Andy Serkis as a Best Lead because I think that's deserved and it'd be great for a motion capture performer to get that nomination. So I'm all on board. Yeah. I mean, we finally got like this trailer gave us the background on the story. Finally, even though we basically knew what was up and everybody's in a dark place. The apes look like they're on the age of like, they're on the verge of extinction in some places. Yeah. But Uh, at the same time, like they're like, if you guys are going to overtake us, it's, it's nature. Like it's going to happen. So right. we have to fight. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, also, yeah, Woody Harrelson's also like, I don't care if they're almost obliterated or not. They have to be completely wiped mm-hmm. out. And there's that dynamic going back and forth. There's hints at 
uh, complexities of ape defectors to humans and yeah. Caesar's having a discussion, you know, about that. And there's also a point where Woody Harrelson looks like he's about to agree to peace, but then uses that to slay actually the rest of the apes or a lot of them. And that's mm-hmm. what sends Caesar over the edge. There's an orphanage or something where they're keeping children that have like, you know, have their parents killed. Yeah. There's all of these they're doing so much for the development of the apes since this last movie that uh, I just cannot wait to see, you know, how Caesar's, you know, put ideology or kind of set up a society for those apes. And it just looks gorgeous. And I am so stoked to see uh, what's next in this chapter. Yeah, I like what you said about, you know, it like the leap that it's making and like that's when things like going from rise to dawn like they make that huge leap where at the end of rise they're just apes that know what to like they can fight and they can escape and they can beat humans and they and like one of them can barely talk yeah then you go to the start of dawn and it's they've made a whole village they can write many multiple of them can speak and then like they're using weapons and everything and artillery and then you go from the end of that movie to now what this one takes place, I think like 18 months or something after. Um, and it's just like, if that, that leap feels natural and it, I don't think it's going to feel like jarring, like, Oh, I don't think this would be their natural progression. Mm-hmm. Like it does. And that just says a lot that we don't have to actually, I don't think we'll actually have to see all that development over all those months and years or whatever. And that it's just like, we can jump into it and it feels like this is exactly where yeah. this, these people, these apes should be. Totally. Because like it would be really hard to buy um, in Dawn that apes are like political beings already. Right. You know, forging alliances and creating cover-ups for things to, you know, galvanize support. But it worked and mm-hmm. it happened. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's to- that totally fits. Yeah. And then moving forward to wherever, that w- wherever we are here in war. Uh, I think is going to be very exciting to see. Yeah. We also got our second trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, one that was, I was surprised it was a little divisive online, the reaction to it. Um, what did you think of it? You were surprised that it was so divisive. Yeah. Because you liked it. Yeah. I I kind of felt it was bland. Really? I, I, there were some things in there I liked. I loved everything we saw from uh, Michael Keaton's Vulture. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool to get an up close look at the suit that he's got going yeah. on and hear some of his backstory, even though it's, it may, may be where it stops and starts. Mm-hmm. But it was nice that that was included in the trailer and they were making some connections, some webs, interlocking webs. <laughs> I, I blew that analogy anyway with Peter, but they were connecting them in some places. But I felt like it was giving away a lot. Yeah. You know, I liked to see the the shot of him trying to hold that fairy mm-hmm. together, but then all of a sudden we see Tony Stark yeah. swoop in there and save the day and I'm like, "Oh, now he's taking the suit from him." So maybe you could have like, I don't know, I felt like that could have been more of a secret. Yeah. But I did love the relationship of Peter and Ned. And I love seeing how the Spider-Man suit works because you always wonder how they get into the tight mm-hmm. spandex. And now we know that, oh, it's actually just like a compression suit. Yeah. So you tap it and it works. So, but I just thought it didn't give anything else super, wasn't it? There was nothing else that got me excited for what I hadn't seen before. Okay. How about that? So why do you, why do you think that's wrong? What do you, no, what that, do you think? I think that's totally valid. And like I... 
that's why I thought it was interesting. That it was so divisive is, and I completely get it. People were like, Oh, it gave way too much. Again, I wish they didn't, you know, do the, cause like that shot, it's so Spider-Man two reminiscent. And you're like, how, mm-hmm. how is he going to keep this fairy, you know, together in Spider-Man two? Like he just barely saves that train. And then in this one, you're like, I mean, there's no way it's going to happen. Like he can't save this. And then it's like, Oh, Iron Man comes in and say that I didn't need to see that. I didn't need to see the end of that line where it was like, you know, I'm taking the suit away, even though I love the line that comes after it where he's like, I need the suit. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you need this suit, then you don't deserve this suit yeah. basically. And you're like, that's like a great analogy. Tony's mm-hmm. learned that before in his past as both Iron Man three. He's yeah. largely without his suit and he's still able to be a hero. Um, so I like those like father son lessons basically where he's like, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. I want you to be better than me. He even says that. Um, but like, I don't know everything I saw in it. Like if I feel like this trailer does basically just say, here's the plot of our movie. But yeah. if that's the plot of the movie and that's how the events play out and these are the main sequences, then it looks like a great movie to me. So that's why I'm still like, I was still really on board with the trailer, even though it's kind of like Amazing Spider-Man 2 syndrome where I feel like I've seen the whole movie, even mm-hmm. though Amazing Spider-Man 2 did it a lot worse, I feel like, because they literally just showed so many scenes yes. um, where I was like, I know literally the entirety of this movie, every single scene it feels like where... This one, I've seen four minutes of footage, and I still kind of have that feeling, but at the same time, they could still, and I'm hoping they still have some surprises, because currently, I feel like that big plane scene, where I think that's super cool that mm-hmm. he's literally oh. steering a plane and saving it from wreckage, Yes, even though I think he still does blow it up, and the fairy scene, where then Vulture's like unmasking him and everything, I think that, from this look at this trailer, that's the final battle, um, but again... I'm hoping they save something else afterwards. I feel, I think they I think they are based on set photos that have come out before and everything. So uh, we will have to wait and see. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't think it's um, doomsday levels of blowing the plot, blowing right. the surprises. I just thought that leave a little more to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, I thought they had a really good thread to follow with Peter's friendship Yeah, and it kind of broke away from felt feeling really teen centric to seeming like a, another spot, like a, a run, another run of a mill Spider-Man movie. I mean, not that any of them have been run in the mill, but it just felt like, Oh, superhero movie, not a teen movie. Right. It kind of, it kind of almost the second half was like teen angst where it was like, I have to prove myself. and like, I like that he has to prove himself to a certain degree, but I, again, don't need all those specific plot points of why and how he's going to do that. Um, But I do think that there's going to be a larger final set piece involving the homecoming dance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's going to be one surprise we keep uh, or hopefully keep for the uh, movie itself. But that's it for trailers. Um, Our first bit of news or bigger pieces of news uh, is one that Josh is very much excited for. Oh, yes. Because so uh, Aaron Sorkin, his like man crush, idol, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. him, uh, he told comicbook.com that he has actually scheduled a couple of meetings with DC and Marvel, uh, which has begged the question, what superhero should Aaron Sorkin be adapting? Yeah, and the answer, my answer to that is I don't know. Right. Because his writing is so specific and so... And I want to say over the top, but it just doesn't fall in line with any comic book 
comic book characters that I know of Mm -hmm. or any movies that I've seen so far without, you know, jumping to my favorite, which would be to say Spider-Man. But I don't know how that would work, you know. Uh, But yeah, comicbook.com asked him this question. I was watching his face throughout all of it. And you could just see him being like, I kind of I've been ready to answer this for a while. And I think he could be great. But though I said Spider-Man, I did realize right here I wrote one idea. Mm-hmm. And that's the Teen Titans. Because he thrives with groups yeah. of people. Um, the West Wing, the newsroom, and even Steve. the movie Steve Jobs and Social Network, for most parts, is a dynamic between people wanting to build a product and how the power plays or the friendships or the pairings mm-hmm. and the, the team building and the challenges and all those kind of funny things uh, that can happen through there. So if he were to do this, I would, I, you know, whether it be a comic book series or a movie, yeah. I don't know if I could, you know, contain myself, <laughs> uh, you know. So what do you think of this? What, how, how do you feel about Aaron Sorkin? You're familiar with his work, which I don't think I've asked you. Ever, I mean, I, I've but. seen Social Network and uh, Steve Jobs and I think that's the only Sorkin experience I have. I okay. haven't seen West Wing. I've seen one episode of Newsroom. A few good men. Um, I don't think did he write Moneyball? I heard somebody say he wrote Moneyball this week, and if so, then I'm even a bigger fan of Sorkin because Moneyball is one of my favorite movies. Um, I just love that movie so much. Um, but in terms of what I think this is all about, the, my first instinct was a comic book, not a movie. So. I don't know if, cause he didn't say I'm meeting with Warner brothers and I'm meeting with Marvel studios. He said, I'm meeting with DC and Marvel. So mm-hmm. that he could just be generalizing and kind of dumbing things down and saying, I'm just meeting with these two companies most likely about the prospects of a movie. Cause I don't know how much other outside of, you know, visual media that he is, that he writes like, I don't know if he writes a lot of books or novels or anything, but, oh. uh, so that's, but like my first, that was my first thought was he was going to go do a comic but if we operate on the assumption that it is a movie, uh, I like the idea of a Teen Titans movie because, yeah, I mean, he's great with groups and everything. Uh, if he's going to Marvel, and Marvel has secretly reacquired the rights to Fantastic Four, yeah. an Aaron Sorkin like Fantastic Four movie uh, would be great. Um, but also, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking of something that would maybe be so different from the conventional comic book movie stuff where, like, it would be more like a Logan where it's just like a single character confined uh, journey, confined story. And I couldn't really think of anything except for a Black Widow movie. I think that would be pretty cool if oh, he, yeah. if you wrote a Black Widow movie. I have no idea if these talks are would also be potentially too direct because I know he's doing, he's doing Molly's games. He's right. going to make his directorial debut. So maybe these talks are also about potentially directing one. Ooh, that seems like a jump, but yeah. I like the idea of um, it, of course. But again, the thing that, and I I don't know Aaron Sorkin very well in his work and everything, but he is, I feel like he's somebody who has a very specific vision and wants to follow his vision more than what other people tell him. Yeah. So that's why I'm not <laughs> sure how well he would work inside of a cinematic universe, which is another reason why I thought comic would be a better option for him. Yeah. So he could say, I want to do this 12 issue run here it is and they could say yes or no or whatever so yeah for sure and to follow up on your what you were asking there yeah Steven Zalian and Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay for Moneyball perfect yeah so there you go there's there's another really great connection for you uh yeah I 
I almost thought about, do you think there he would be part of crafting a comic for Marvel? Ground yeah. level for Marvel or DC? Like a brand new yeah. comic? I mean, maybe. I mean, because I know in his quote, he was like, I have to go in and tell them politely that I've never read a comic book. Yeah. So <laughs> in these meetings, it's basically going to be Marvel and DC pitching him characters like, okay, well, here's here's what this character is about. Here's what this character is about. And he's going to say, okay, I don't, I don't like that. Or can I do that? But with this twist or this take, and they'll say yes or no. Mm-hmm. So again, that's why I think a comic is more is easier a project for him to take on because he could write it all and then just he has to wait for the publications and everything. Um, but again, I don't, I have no idea what this is going to do. So Same here. I'm just hoping we hear something about this uh, soon. Yeah. I, I, lo- I just love the idea of it. Whatever it pans out to be. Um, he's, he's like my writing hero. And I was just, the idea of this was just so fun to think about and talk about, especially, yeah. you know, universe that I kind of love. Yes. Um, we also have been talking a lot recently about this new Sony Spider-Verse they're trying to kick off. They've announced a Venom movie and a Silver Sable and Black Cat team-up movie so far. Uh, and Collider is reporting that the Venom movie is intended to be R-rated. Um, and that the reasoning for this is because it will kick off a R-rated universe. So I don't know if that also implicates that the Silver Sable and black cat movie if it ever happens would also be r-rated or if venom is starting his own universe or whatever this means this this just doesn't make any sense to me again i don't know why sony is making these decisions to move ahead with this universe that is not part of the mcu but is reliant on spider-man but they can't use spider-man or they can't reference spider-man and why not just i understand again it's better to do this now instead of trying to wait and see if the comic book genre dies off. But as long as they keep making great movies, it's not going to happen. So if if you're Sony and you want these movies to continue for a long time, don't make a bad Venom movie that will then hurt the genre, hurt that character's credit even more so than it did after Spider-Man 3 uh, within you know film people's minds. So I don't know why they're doing this. I th- if this is true an R-rated Venom movie, I think, does work. I feel like he is one of those characters that can be made with an R-rating and actually kind of fits and actually kind of seems like a good fit. But it also just seems like a forced thing because they're going, hey, you know, two of the biggest movies the last two years have been Deadpool and Logan. What were those? Oh, R-rated superhero movies. Um, Venom, let's make an R-rated Venom movie. (laughs) And it it just... You know, it's like they they thought, okay, who's our darkest character that we own? Venom, of yeah. course, hands down, um, and one people would be familiar with. Uh, it just seems like it's such a, it's such a jump that that involves a character that is almost entirely reliant on a character you just signed dual ownership with for Marvel. I think that's how it works. Right, it's. I know the internet went crazy this week because Amy Pascal was like, oh, you, maybe this won't continue after the Homecoming sequel. That's not going to happen. This this deal is going to continue. Just basically, mm-hmm. the deal is only in place currently until the end of Homecoming 2 or whatever it's going to be called. Um, but Holland still has two more pictures on his contract after that. So this this deal is going to continue it's just not officially continuing they're doing it on like a movie by movie basis basically right so they can you know yeah grab higher profits mm-hmm. depending on you know 
how the movies right. are moving. Because then if, if Homecoming comes out and it's, it makes $1.5 billion and it mm-hmm. doubles up the highest grossing Spider-Man movie to date, then Sony can say, okay, Marvel, if you want in on this again, <laughs> yeah, then you need to do this. Or it can go the other way and Marvel say, listen, we gave you Rob Downey Jr. and he doubled your profits. Exactly. Uh, so we want to do this with the character. We want a little bit more creative control and stuff. Yeah, I mean, Marvel is able, Marvel and Disney are able to point to Avengers 1, 2, and Iron Man 3 and say, look what Robert, Robert Downey and Jr. Civil has War. done. And Civil War. Civil War doubled up the previous Captain America movie. That's that's $5 billion yeah. to, to, you know, smack Sony over the head with. But I, I, I think an R-rated movie centered around, I think Flash Thompson is who's the host when they're doing the black ops stuff with yes. Venom. So that could be really cool. But at the same time, I think some of Venom's charm is the Eddie Brock out of control mm. in the sewers of New York City fighting Spider-Man or coming up with ways to be the anti-hero right. in some respects. And the anti-hero thing we saw didn't really pay off as well, you know, at least critically um, in Suicide Squad. So I would hope they take that into consideration and realize it would be best to have him, you know, in some ways pitted against Spider-Man mm-hmm. or, I mean, I would, I'd be really ticked to see them create carnage as well for this film and have that battle play out. Uh, so that wouldn't be fun. I just right. hope whatever they do, they do cautiously and maybe reconsider the R take because that would make it inaccessible for any possible, any, any possible MCU stuff. So, yeah. And again, like at CinemaCon, there was no mention of any of this spider verse stuff at the Sony panel. So this is all stuff that's just been floated around like right now, even though Venom does have a release date, I'm hoping that it's all just part of some ploy where that Sony can say, well, they're in negotiations with Marvel already to, so Marvel can completely buy back the rights to Spider-Man. And they're saying, well, you know, if you want Spider-Man, all these characters, you know, you need to pay us a little more because we have all these extra plans for these other characters. So yeah, so maybe hopefully it's an attempt to get Kevin Feige to say, okay, Disney, let's just buy all right. everything yeah. back for okay. We'll give you ten million dollars or ten 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 million would yeah, be a steal. Million or, yeah, you know, we'll give you million, we'll, we'll give you a cup. We'll give you two billion dollars back to oh yeah, that's probably more like it. Buy all the Spider-Man characters and we get full creative control, and maybe they'll cut them a deal where you guys can still get producer credit on them but it's completely our movie. You guys can help distribute them and we'll cut the, we'll split the profits 75, 25 or something. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways this deal can go down. Fingers crossed. Yes. Um, So we don't have to cross our finger. Well, I guess we still technically do have to cross our fingers about as of right now is the possibility of Joss Whedon directing a Batgirl movie. Uh, Variety broke the big news this week that he is currently uh, in final talks to join the DCEU and direct a Barbara Gordon led Batgirl movie. Uh, it will reportedly take some of the stuff from her new 52 version where she it's post being shot by the Joker post becoming Oracle. And she is now recovering and just starting to get back into being Batgirl and everything. And, and how do you feel about this? I mean, because this was, a, this was a shock. Yeah. I had no, no I was like, okay. Um, I obviously have a lot of love for Joss Whedon because mm-hmm. of what he did with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Avengers is one of my favorite movies bec- a lot because of what he did and how he's able to construct that all those different characters and all those different storylines together in such a beautiful way. So the thought of him kind of going smaller 
and doing Batgirl, I think is really cool. Um, but at the same time, it's just another DC movie, uh-huh. another one specifically Batman centric, mm-hmm. um, which I know not everybody shares this opinion, but, and it's not all, it's not obviously surprising because if you look at like DC comics, it's basically a 50, 50 split as well of, okay, well here's titles with Batman or about Batman. And here's the other half of the titles that aren't about Batman. Um, so it's not a surprise that they're doing this, but I think this just reiterates that DC is kind of ditched whatever that announced slate was in 2014, that thing's out the window. They're doing a completely different plan and it's their plan B and B stands for Batman because it's basically <laughs> the, good. it's the DC Batman universe. Now in my mind, like you, I think I forgot to bring it up here. Um, but like I wrote down like all the different projects they had in development and, uh, or coming up. And like, I think there were nine projects currently, including like Wonder Woman and Justice League that are going to have Batman in it or are related to Batman characters like Gotham City Sirens or uh, Suicide Squad 2 and stuff. And there were 11 that are not about Batman. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're, at a, they're at a 9 to 11 ratio of Batman-centric stuff right now, which I totally get. Batman sells. Uh, he's their biggest character. And putting Batgirl or Nightwing or something in the movie theater it's going to attract audiences. Um, but aside from all that stuff, uh, I am surprised. I mean, we didn't have not officially signed on yet, but I am surprised that he obviously is coming back in the superhero genre after mm-hmm. having such a bad fallout with Marvel after age of Ultron. Where he was like, this was just too much. Uh, I couldn't handle this. He also tried to make a wonder woman movie before with WB that didn't work either. Like he's, I'm just surprised for him to jump back in to have his, as this would be his next movie after age of Ultron, unless he does something smaller beforehand. But, uh, on the surface, a Whedon directed Batgirl movie within the DCEU sounds like a great idea. It sounds like it'll give them again, another young hero to bring in. Um, it's just see what kind of age range they go for. In my mind, she'll be like mid twenties, but they could go, you know, very young and like, high school early college or they could go a little older and make her closer to like batman's age Mm -hmm. um but i think they'll do like her and nightwing as like mid to late 20s yeah that's where that's kind of what i thought too some people were saying they might actually go like 16 17 years old and like that would be that feels like it would be a josh whedon movie especially Mm -hmm. with you know buffy the vampire slayer that was i think that belief buffy's a teenager throughout most of that right I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Um, 18 to 20 range. So, so yeah, I definitely think that age range makes a lot of sense. But, I mean, I love the plan B thing you said there because yeah. here we go again. I, I mean, I just started typing up um, movies here, and I, just, I got to 11 without any serious thinking about mm-hmm. DC properties that they've started to, you know, at least announce titles for right. or say that are, you know, are coming along. So, so go, go figure there. But I love the idea of... Um, exploring Batman sidekicks because I think they're some of the richest characters like even mm-hmm. Batman sidekicks are some of the richest characters um that DC has on hand and especially yep. Batgirl especially with Oracle especially with um Bar- Barbara Gordon's entire backstory is just right for the picking especially mm-hmm. because people a lot of people as much as they like the killing joke may not be on board with her portrayal and usage yeah. or anything yeah and i think it's a perfect time to do a reset on mm-hmm. it um 
So I I love it. I mean, Whedon definitely knows how to make a a movie full of heart and fun, but I can I think he can also adapt some things um, like Firefly, like where he can get get serious and kind of fits with this aspirational view of that DC tries to push with their movies. So I, I'm all about this. I far be it for me to try to cast who they want here. Um, I think I think remember the Anna Kendrick thing that was floating around mm-hmm. there with Ben Affleck. I think that's a fun idea to think about. Yeah, probably probably unlikely. not, but I would love it yeah, so much. I think, yeah, I would love it so much too. Um, but if this turns out to be true. I would be pretty stoked because I think it's on other awesome opportunity for DC to find their way back to the, the the train tracks, even though it's actually technically taking them further off course. Right. (laughs) So uh, weird to say that, but you know, um, Whedon, Matt Reeves, two fantastic director Mm -hmm. directors, you know, hopefully. And Chris McKay. And Chris McKay. That's right. Three, you know, all coming on board to hopefully, write this ship a little bit more right and like just for a comparison like we have uh movies like not kind of one woman in justice league there are six movies currently that have directors for future dc movies uh four of them are of the batman relation uh and two of them are not that being aquaman and shazam the other four god and science is david ayer Batman has Matt Reeves, uh, Nightwing is Chris McKay, and that Batgirl is Joss Whedon. So, mm-hmm. uh, I it does also, you know, just to elaborate on this a little more. Uh, I hope Matt Reeves is okay with all of this because this is presumably Nightwing and uh, Batgirl going to come after the Batman. So, are they going to be in that movie? Are they just going to be referenced? Um, I feel like they. I feel like there's already so much unseen lore within the Bat family that it makes me wish we could have seen that movie where like the Bat family was complete, and maybe we'll see parts of that in flashbacks, and then you know we'll see the moment where Joker killed Jason Todd, and then that's the fallout of Nightwing. He goes to Bloodhaven or whatever, mm-hmm. and Batgirl, you know, gets shot right afterwards, right before that or something, and then she's you know not able to be a superhero anymore. And then that's why Batman's all alone for all those years afterwards. But I, w- I mean, there's like just going over all that stuff that happened, but that's going to be leading up to this movie. If they follow that new 52 arc, like that's so much backstory that, yeah, that like be... how, like, I don't know how you go. Th- like that's so much just to get through just to then tell her story uh, in a single movie. So it, it goes back to the philosophy of DC just trying to kind of push everything in very quickly, not wanting to tell their origins and just kind of here's the heroes now, not how necessarily how they got there and just they feel like they're behind. I don't think, I mean, they're not. They As long as these movies are good, they'll be able to tell these stories as long as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I don't know about that. but Listen, like they made Westerns for 40 years. Exactly. We are, we're, we're not even at the 20-year point in terms of superhero comic book movies and that who knows how long that right. lifespan and like, is. And like DC is only four years in. Like, right. And, this, and there are only three movies. So like mm-hmm. they, this can go for a long time. Like just look at Marvel. Like these movies, as long as they're good, like the Marvel, the first phase of Marvel movies, like – the DC movies are blowing them out of the water box office wise, like not even comparable, but critically all of 
every single Marvel movie is. I think the lowest one is um, Dark, uh, the Dark World, and Incredible Hulk, both like sixty-sevens or something like. Generally, very liked movies, all of them. So like, again, like, just make a good movie and I'll, everything will work out. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Um, if I do have to throw out some names, I don't have to, but why not? About who uh, could play her again? It all goes to the age range. Emma Stone was the first person to pop into my mind. Oh. Because uh, I think she's in her mid to late 20s. So, uh, again, she'll be a little older by the time this movie actually starts production and everything. But I think she'd be a great choice. So would Emma Watson. Uh, oh, I like that one. That'd be really That's cool. Um, some other names. I, But the one that I kind of thought of after Anna Kendrick, that was like, you know, she deserves this after everything that's happened. Okay. Kate, Kate Mara, I think, would be a really good Batgirl. A, a great one, actually. In fact, that is my favorite. That's my favorite of the three you've thrown out there. Yeah. Because, like, sure. she kind of got gypped with Fantastic Four. She was in Iron Man 2 for, like, a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she, But, I mean, she was great on House of Cards. Yeah, she has this new movie about, like, she's in the she's uh in the army and she like is one of, she is like controls one of the, like the the bomb sniffing dogs and stuff and then like just go watch, i can't remember what the trailer's called but just look at like kate mara on imdb and you'll find it and like it looks so good and i think she's just a great actress that need that deserves to break out and i feel like Batgirl could definitely do that for her um if they go a little younger uh olivia cook from mineral and dying girl would be a good choice i think uh, as would Jane Levy from Don't Breathe, as would Haley Steinfeld because she's just great. Yeah, I um, love that one. And I mean, yeah, I have, I have a whole bunch of names, but they're all different age ranges and everything. Sure. So maybe, Megan Levy. Is that the movie? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. That looks really good, actually. Yeah. So it's got a dog in it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, the the trailer almost like made me tear up. Like it's just it looks so good. And again, I just think she deserves just kind of this big breakout role that. I mean, she hasn't really had. I mean, House of Cards would probably be that for her, but like, that's not like that's not one like, season in the killer. Exactly. Or, spoilers. Spoiler. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so, absolutely, I I totally agree yeah. with that. I haven't seen that suggestion a lot, but I think she was. She has both comedy elements, but also very good dramatic chops that mm-hmm. she could definitely, I think, deliver everything we didn't would want from this character. Absolutely, and I mean, June 9th, twenty seventeen, for Megan Levy. So. I'm going to put that on the calendar. Yes. All right. Awesome. Uh, moving on to another big female in the uh, DC, or not the DC, the Disney universe. This one coming with Lion King. Variety broke the news that Beyonce is Jon Favreau's Ooh, first choice what? to play Nala in the Ooh. live action remake of The Lion King. Yes, please. I mean, that's just that's just perfect. That, her, yes. I mean, there's Beyonce has always been a juggernaut, but I feel like she's like as big as oh, she's she'll, she's as big as she'll ever. I can't be. I mean, I mean, who knows? Maybe she'll right. get even bigger. I but, thought you could probably say that like five years ago, right? But and then, but now, <laughs> then lemonade happened and everything. Absolutely. And, so I think I think go for it. Yeah. I mean, I know she's got twins. She's pregnant with twins. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the movie's slated for twenty eight. I think it's technically unslated, but they have a slot for like a summer 2018 live untitled or unannounced live action movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it's got to be this, right? I, I, and it's a voice role. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think she would be. I think I, would, I wouldn't want to tell her what to do, but I think it'd be crazy not to do exactly. this. I mean, she's an iconic alpha female voice of like the generation up alongside Donald Glover would be 
uh, a fantastic pairing. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I was like, Beyonce? Like, how did I not think of that? Like, just her voice just seems like the perfect choice for Nala. Like, it's yeah. it's very, it's like, it's recognizable, but also not. I mean, her singing voice obviously is, but just like her regular speaking voice, very like soothing and calming and everything. And just the thought after I started thinking about this of her and Donald Glover singing can you feel the love time? I was like, oh my, just give them like an award right now. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think like, of the song element. Like, like, like that's like, the, I think that's just the genius part of it is they're not all, only good actors and they have great voices, but both of them can s- literally sing with anybody. They're incredible artists. And I think that's just so smart. And it sounds like, according to the Variety article, that Favreau is going to do whatever it takes to do it. He's like, he's like, the article says that he'll change recording schedules or whatever he'll do anything it takes to get her so i feel like this is all but a formality at this point but it doesn't make me any like less excited like, i think this is a great this is or this may be the most excited i've been about the lion king movie yeah. oddly enough like and nala doesn't have like the biggest most prominent role but there's the thought of beyonce being in there and adds so much star power her singing ability brings so much to the movie it definitely confirms that you know she is definitely going to mm-hmm. they're, they're definitely going to include the songs which I'm completely happy about um, I mean this is just this is just great oh. news and I hope I would love to see her and Donald Glover each make original songs for the movie as well yes even and, if they don't make the movie just put them on the album or something yeah I, and I, I through all of this I had not even considered the music in Lion King. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that goes to the back of my mind. Right. I mean, uh, the most prominent most one cases. is always a Matata. Right. But like, there's just so many, like she could be the one singing circle of life to start. Like, yeah. Think of that opening sequence. If Beyonce is singing that, like, Oh, that would kill on. me. <laughs> this is, Oh man. Okay. Maybe Lion King is now. I just got, like, we just got more excited for Beyonce as Nala than we did about Joss Whedon as bat directing yes. Batgirl. I mean, like I, he, he, absolutely. Because, uh, who doesn't love Lion King number one? Yeah. Who doesn't love Beyonce? Who doesn't think Donald Glover's great? And then you realize, oh, they're both good artists who get to be in one of my favorite movies directed mm-hmm. by a fantastic director. Oh, and James Earl Jones is back. <laughs> and James Earl Jones is back. The only way I could love this more and love this movie more is, and I've said it, I think early on, is just give me, add Steve Carell to this, please. Except I also heard the great, uh, thought of Key and Peele as Timon <gasps> Pumbaa. And I was no, like, that's I was like, it. I was like, that would also yes. be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, I, if that happened, this, this would be the, oh, I'm so stoked for Lion King. Yeah, um, me too. What is August? I mean, it'll be July, August of 2018 or whatever, but I don't care. Just give it to me. Yes. Like, I love it. I'm so pumped. It. And then we're like, <laughs> we don't even know when this movie's coming out. No. Like, it's so, like, it's so dumb, but Lion, yeah, but Lion King is like, one of my favorite it is. it is my favorite animated uh disney movie it's yeah. just such a big part of my childhood and i mean literally every element of this live action remake is just like perfect mm-hmm. it, it's it's off to a an amazing start and they haven't even technically they haven't even started, started yet. i mean they've probably started like a couple of the visual aspects and sure. stuff but like yeah i mean this is nuts um <laughs> so after all that excitement let's talk about the future of Star Wars because yeah. uh, Star Wars <laughs> Newsnet was like, hey, you want to know what's happening for the next, you know, like 10 years? Here you go. And they just kind of laid out, not in like concrete detail, what is actually ha- actually happening, but 
a lot of the general stuff of what could happen. And the biggest one they start off with, which isn't the biggest surprise, but it's just great to kind of have pretty much confirmation on this. Um, according to their source, the Obama movie is definitely happening. Ewan McGregor has basically already agreed to do it. Um, but it is only going to be one movie and not a trilogy, which I thought was interesting. But it sounds like we're definitely getting an Obi-Wan movie. Um, their source said it's probably going to be announced at Celebration at the end of the month. What do you think about all this? Absolutely. I mean, like, I think I made the joke last week about transpotting, too. I'm like, right. you can only do so many of those. And the guy has played, played, uh, one of the, the, played the best role outside of, you know, Darth Sidious in that trilogy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think, I, I, I like McGregor, I think, a little more than, I mean, he has so much to do. In, of course, he's, so. he's much more dynamic yes. than... Uh, and he's a good guy, so he's easier to root for. Absolutely, yeah. It's hard to say, oh, go get him, Palpatine. Yeah, take come him. on, Palpatine. I want, oh. you to, I want you to kill Yoda. Or, okay, <laughs> maybe Sam Jackson's base window, but he's pretty stoic, too, right. so you really can't engage with him as much. Um, but yes, absolutely. Like, there's a book series uh, that I loved as a kid, like 13, 14 years old, called The Last of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it basically kicks off with Obi-Wan, you know, leaving Tatooine and going off on a mission. I don't know what they would do with this, but I loved, in my mind, watching Ian McGregor, you know, have another adventure as Obi-Wan Kenobi in uh, set in a time period that disappointed a lot of people mm-hmm. you know in the grand view of things how about you i mean you love mcgregor yes so are you about this oh yeah um even more so i don't do you watch star wars rebels uh you know what i watched the one episode of i watched the first season and then i watched the one episode that featured his truly oh okay so yeah. like the one that right before the season three finale mm-hmm. okay so yeah like after that episode i was like yeah i definitely want to see like give me that standalone obi-wan movie like now um and like i feel like this is definitely going to be the mystery untitled anthology movie of 2020 so we're still we're still a couple years away from this movie actually starting production and stuff but i mean this is just this is great news. This is exactly what I wanted, you know, even though I'm, I'm still interested to see other unknown stories about unknown characters within the Star Wars universe. He was so good in not good movies that he deserves to have his own movie. He's, you know, he gets to play old man <laughs> Kenobi yeah. kind of yes. and uh, just have a great small story that I feel like they could almost follow the blueprint in a sort of ways of, of Logan and just have it be like some sort of small journey of him across Tatooine or whatever, but he still has to kind of stay close because he has to keep an eye on Luke. Um, Yeah. And there's no better time for this. Obi-Wan Kenobi literally watched the downfall of his entire order and see the galaxy, you know, thrown into, you know, the dark ages as he calls it and a new hope. And that's like right in that, Logan story kind of Mm -hmm. line you know what do you do when your entire way of life is just broken down and shattered and now you are by yourself with only your thoughts I mean Liam Neeson could come back to voice (laughs) the force ghost oh yes it'll be one's head is that canon that the that Qui-Gon can do a force ghost it's it's not technically canon so much um as but the idea is that he knows how to commune with them right as Yoda hints to him in episode three, mm-hmm. yeah, which I thought always ticked me off because I'm like, what does that mean? You know, right. like, what is Yoda telling him here? Uh, 
but yeah so it's, i think it's technically canon yeah he can speak to his old master right he just can't see him yeah okay correct. so yeah but that'd, yeah that'd be awesome um and we also got the note from stars in the net that uh gareth edwards is potential could potentially come back to the star wars universe to direct uh this standalone obi-wan movie is that something you'd be interested in you know i i loved uh edwards's i, I really liked edwards's direction of rogue one i Definitely thought there were problems with it, especially, you know, what he, what I think he struggles with is just developing emotion, mm-hmm. emotional relationships with characters. Um, but there's no way I would be against him coming back. But I do think someone else should be able to have a chance to step up right. to the plate. I don't like the idea of saying, hey, Gareth, go do it again for mm-hmm. us. Um, especially because he kind of seemed a little bit tired. Right. Uh, I noticed in some of the, the, uh, the post- press for star wars but oh and totally a total side thing here did you know that he had a cameo in rogue one he, he? pulls the lever to get the tanto four off of the mon calamarian cruiser oh really because i know yeah. i know ryan johnson is the in there he's like the one that operates the laser beam off the death star yep and then uh Gareth Edwards' cameos at the end in that final scene that they oh. added. Yep. And then I also noticed that he's going to have a cameo in The Last Jedi, too. Oh, really? But that's totally cool. out there. Okay. But you, do you think Edwards should come back, or would you want to see someone else in the chair? I would rather see somebody else. Not that I have anything against Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really liked Rogue Ones, mostly the third act, which, according to all the reports, he didn't have that much to do with because it was the reshoots that were like it was him and um gilroy gilroy yeah tony gilroy i don't remember what his first name is but yeah it's him like gilroy is basically almost taken over directing duties for that all those reshoots and everything so i don't know my biggest problems with rogue one were the first two acts and if that was all edwards and then the parts i liked were not edwards then yeah i don't want him back um but if he did come back, I wouldn't be against it. Um, but I, I do like the idea of other people getting the chance to do this. Uh, and I've heard the uh, Christian Harloff on Collider has been a big uh, proponent, or somebody who's constantly been saying it has to be John Favreau. And I think that makes all the sense in the world. I feel like that would be great. Hmm. That's an interesting. That's an interesting idea. I'm not. I don't, I don't think I'm totally sold on it. I think maybe there's. What do you think of Mark Webb? 500 Days of Summer. And while he did do two, yeah, one, it's, it's one a, disappointing it's a, Spider-Man It's movie. a mixed bag. Yeah. So I, I, do, I, I do love 500 Days of Summer, but then there's also the Spider-Man movies, which I do. I like both of them, but they're not great movies. Okay, so fair enough. I want, I want a definitively great Obi-Wan movie. Okay. So I want a great director with that. So... And I, that's what Favreau is in my mind. So if that is Favreau or if it's, I don't know, Matthew Vaughn, which doesn't fit with Kenobi, I don't sure. think, but give it to James Mangold. Like, oh, <laughs> that, yeah, would, that mean, would be awesome <laughs> yeah. if you're going to take the Logan route kind of. Um, the other anthology movie we got an update on was the Boba Fett movie, the one that Josh Trank was supposed to direct. Obviously, he's not doing that anymore. Um, and apparently when he was like going to talk about a celebration before all the fallout happened, there wasn't even a script in place, but the script that has been worked on since then is now basically Boba Fett and the bounty hunters. That's like the title star Wars news net gave it where Boba Fett is like 
technically the, is kind of the lead, but he also it's an ensemble piece, so it's like the Avengers <laughs> yeah. of bounty hunters, which okay sounds awesome. Like I that you could get all the different like uh, bounty hunters from like Clone Wars and stuff. You could get like Cad Bane to be in there or something. Like just all this different stuff you could get. Um, there's like an episode of Clone Wars where like it's like a bounty hunter like. <laughs> contest basically so i think it's sponsored by java okay uh where they're like okay you're in a room you have to do all these tests to see who is the best bounty hunter then whoever it is gets the assignment to go and do a task i can't remember what the task is mm. um but it was like it was a super cool idea i don't think i don't want that to be the thing but bring in all those other bounty hunters and stuff and make this big epic bounty hunter smaller movie about just trying to find somebody kill somebody whatever i think that sounds cool yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would be all about seeing some of the those bounty hunters featured in the the cartoons, the uh-huh. animated series. I would love to see the ensemble be everybody on board that Death Star in Empire. Oh yeah, um, IG eighty eight Bossic. Um, I think he's his name's Iger or I can't I can't think of his name. He's got the head wrapped mm-hmm. up in the towel. That guy has had like all of his humanity removed from his brain and he's basically just all rage and like there's right. he's like a really cool thing. So I would be all about this a Boba Fett ensemble movie. And, mm. you know, speaking of Matthew Vaughn, this would be one that you could have oh, yeah. for sure. So if that were to happen, I'd be all about it. Yeah, I don't think it mentions if this is before, you know, like A New Hope or if this mm-hmm. is after the Sarlacc pit or whatever, but... I feel like I have to do it after the Sarlacc pit. Otherwise, I'm not really interested in seeing it. You know, if it was after the Sarlacc pit, I'd almost want it to be just Boba Fett then. But but then I, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't have that affinity for Boba Fett that a lot of people do. Like, okay. he's not my favorite Star Wars character or anything, but um, I don't I don't know. I, like, I still like the mystery behind him. Right? I don't want to see, I mean, you get some of that mystery unveiled because of the prequels and stuff, but right. I don't want to see, you know, his his what he looks like now i don't want to hear him talk all the time like let everybody else do it and then let boba fett have all the cool action moments that's what i want from a boba fett and bounty hunter movie yeah you you want to you want the line to be walked between ruining the image of somebody you have in your head you want it reinforced mm-hmm. you want to know more but you don't want everything you know deconstructed uh like you know when they told us metachlorians were how the force works or, you yeah. know, so many other things, but best Boba Fett bounty hunter movie. I will be all on board for. Yes. Uh, another interesting anthology movie. We have not heard anything about before. Uh, this was something brand new that star Wars news net brought to everybody's attention is the idea of a young adult, uh, movie that that's the target audience and that'll have a romantic twist on it. So it'll be more of like a teen romance movie almost. Um, that's being considered as well. Uh, we could hear more about that at celebration maybe maybe not um and then they went on to say that this is the movie that is being the first step taken to getting a female director inside of star wars i don't think you have to get a female director for a romantic movie yeah. <laughs> i feel like that's a little cliche and i would you know get her get a few get like Catherine bigelow for the obi-wan movie or patty jenkins or somebody like oh yeah for sure they don't have to just do these romance movies and stuff but whatever the case is uh I like the idea of this, especially, I mean, the Star Wars Newsnet article referred to Lost Stars, the book. I haven't read it, but I know some stuff about it. And if they do a similar storyline to that, 
I think that'd be really cool. It's it's a very good book, and if you want me to lend it to you, I will. I will. How long it is it? Yeah, uh, it's 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 actually a pretty big book. I think it's like five hundred pages, six hundred pages. Yeah, I'm not a big reader. Okay, so. sure. <laughs> Who knows? What? Okay, that doesn't make any sense, Cooper. <laughs> You're a writer, but oh, whatever. Right. Uh, it's really cool because it takes it takes Star Wars, pulls out you know the adrenaline rush in a lot of ways, and takes a look at it on a granular level, mm-hmm. but then still has some traditional Star Wars tropes and elements to it that you're like oh, okay, this is still what I know, but it's slower and it's more character-based. And I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I wouldn't say it's my favorite book in this new canon line, mm-hmm. but it's very good and shows that they're interested in taking things in new directions. Right. So uh, I, if they went with that way, I would be all about it too. Yep. I mean, it's Star Wars. I'm yeah, all about you'll, it you'll be anyway. there for anything. Um, but good news is you're not going to have to, uh, you're not going to be without Star Wars forever. No surprise there. Uh, even though they have not announced plans for a new trilogy, this article went on to say that they are already discussing what would happen in in 11, 12, 13, uh, the episode, the Skywalker saga, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that Disney is already planning to potentially schedule in a break between not just maybe the, uh, not just the episodes, but also you know, breaking it apart completely. And then like after maybe this young adult movie, there's a five year break before we see the next star Wars movie. So do you, are you happy that we're already, you know, considering the next trilogy and what do you think about, I mean, I know you've said before that you want gaps in between your star Wars movies. Yes. Uh, I've said, that I think that would be crazy, but obviously you you seem to be on the more right track than I am. So what do you think about this? Well, do you think do you you think it's crazy from a studio perspective? Right. Yeah. The business side of things. Yeah. I'm just surprised that Disney be looking at billion dollar movie every single year and saying, mm-hmm. you know, let's take a couple years off. Yeah. I, I'm coming at it from a a place of I love this so much. I don't want to see it bled dry and left right. lifeless on the ground. You know, like things fell after watching episode three, mm-hmm. or maybe a year after watching episode three. How about that? So. I'm always thinking about the next trilogy, by the way, too, right. you know, regardless of when I want to see it, because that's just where my mind goes. But I, this makes me happy for one reason only, and, and that is they're thinking, okay, how do we preserve this? How do we keep it special? Not only for the people today, the people 40 years ago, um, but for the people tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And five years, I think, is, in my ideal mind, is too short. I, I see it around eight to 10, but at the same time, like you said, it's a billion dollar a year movie franchise. So them holding off for eight years, missing out on $8 billion of revenue, right? you know, it, that's crazy. And it would not, it wouldn't happen. But of course, you know, I want to see Daisy Ridley. I want to see John mm-hmm. Boyega. I want to see, um, Oscar, Oscar Isaac, Isaac, thank you. I want to Adam see BB-8 rolling around. Right. Adam Driver, of course. Uh, I, obviously, I don't think what's his face. General Hawks is going to survive. Mm-hmm. Played by Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason, but he's great. If he stuck around, that'd be cool to see him again. Uh, so, if we have to wait that long, so be it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm I'm happy that they're at least considering the idea of wait. What if this loses its 
flavor. It's fun. Right. It's specialness. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that from a perspective that, uh, I mean, I'm definitely not as diehard of a Star Wars fan as you are, a lot of people. Um, so the idea of a Star Wars fatigue hasn't really come to my attention. Um, and as somebody who's a big Marvel fan, like, it doesn't matter. They could release six movies a year, and I'd probably still be hyped about every single one of them. You know, uh, I don't think that the more you make something, the less special it is. It's like, you know, Christmas happens every year, and it's not less special the longer you live. Like, yeah, okay. you know, like I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that understanding, but at the same time, I do like the idea that you know, at the end of episode nine, or uh, at the end of episode, how long? Yeah, episode nine. Yes. Uh, we will like we'll, we could get a you know five year break. Maybe that'll be completely filled with anthology movies or whatever. Or maybe they'll finish and they'll do, you know, the Obi Wan movie in twenty twenty. They'll do the Boba Fett in twenty twenty one. They'll do the Lost Stars esque movie in twenty twenty two. And then they'll wait until twenty twenty seven to do episode ten. Then, I mean, I mean Daisy Ridley's in her late thirties, I think, mid to late thirties. I don't. I don't, I, don't, I, don't so. I don't know how she's old Daisy not, really is. She's barely 25, I believe. Yeah, I can't do math. So, uh, I mean, she's in her 30s. We'll say that for sure. Um, so, I like the idea that we could, we'll wait a little bit to see these characters. There'll be all these years of mystery. Um, and even though if my theory that Ray's going to turn by the end to the dark side, I don't want to wait yeah. <laughs> you know, seven, eight years to see what happens next. I want to see that in the very next year. Um, so... Again, I don't think this is necessary, but I think this could also, you know, continue to make help Star Wars last and not all not oversaturate the market and everything and make it feel like, okay, well, you know, they've run out of ideas, so now they have to do a young Yoda movie and stuff like. <laughs> young Yoda. Well, he's the three hundred and fifty in that <laughs> right, one, <yeah. laughs> whatever the case is. Um, I will say though. You you just want to avoid the diehard problem, mm-hmm. and I'm coining this phrase now. Okay. Is you can only watch your hero save the planet or save the earth or save the day ridiculously right. so many times, and not not that Star Wars comes to that level, mm-hmm. but seeing Luke blow up four Death Stars, <laughs> like two two was great for a series, yeah, and that was good. Now, but seeing Daisy Ridley for six movies do the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again would get tiring. Right. That's where so like, I you, think you need that break and you need a time for a new cast to add a new cast so that they can kind of move roles along mm-hmm. like Luke is doing for the, you know, the millennia, the, right. the earliest portion of the millennials. Mm-hmm. So. Right. But like we've talked about it before, like if, you know, the last Jedi means that the Jedi are no longer after the end of episode eight, and then nine is about the, you know, about Ray and Kylo figure out, you know, what parts of the force are we going to use? Are we going to mm-hmm. channel our anger? Are we going to not like all this different stuff? Then Star Wars ultimately will break farther away from their formula they've kind of had for the previous seven movies and keep it fresh. So as long as their plan is not go and say, all right, well, you know, this trilogy, it's all about the... You know, it's about this faction of the empire rising. Mm -hmm. And then the next is about the resistance, you know, saving the day, but ultimately they can't do it enough. And then the next trilogy is about, if they don't just keep repeating that cycle, then I think we're fine. And we could have a episodic movie every other year, like they're planning to do. But I mean, I'm interested to see what 
they ultimately do. And uh, if they do end up taking, you know, a significant break between all Star Wars movies, or if it's just, all right, we're going to take a break from this saga movies, and here are six standalone movies in between that. So Yeah, I like that way much better than right. the, the path that we're on right now. Yeah. So uh, that's it for the news. We are going to move on to our view of Ghost in the Shell, the adaptation of the 1995, I believe, is the original animated movie. Uh, by the same name based on the Japanese manga. It's been extremely popular. I've seen that original manga I talked about a couple weeks ago uh, on the podcast. Thought it was good. This movie borrowed a lot of elements from that um, in terms of visuals. I mean, it looks... This movie looks great just in terms of... I saw it on IMAX 3D. There are huge city shots and we're just like... I mean, this, this, this looks so good. The action, all of it is very stylized, looks good. I mean, it goes slow motion for points or for portions. Uh, that all works. A lot of that stuff is also borrowed from that original movie. Um, so somebody who had saw that, a lot of it kind of felt repetitive. Uh, the one sequence that really stood out to me that was new uh, was the one where she's like chained up to the, the pole and she's in that really confined room. I thought that was probably my favorite action set piece because it just it was it was something new that i hadn't seen before but also i feel like that was the one where she where johansson actually got to do some action stuff and not just fire guns and you know jump from point a to point b or something like she actually got a punch and kick and stuff i thought that was cool yeah it looked it wasn't it was less cg and over the top effects more than it was just choreography right uh so i really like that so overall i thought rupert sanders did an okay job directing um i didn't love uh or hate his previous movie the the first huntsman movie um so definitely better than the sequel <laughs> that is that's definitely true uh it's not hard to say but i mean points for that i guess um the flow of the movie it drags at certain points where uh you know you're tra- you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen next a lot of it you know she's like on the run at certain points then she's like teaming up with this person then she's working against this person you're like i feel like it could have moved a little quicker and like this movie is like an hour 40 something like it felt like 20 or 30 minutes longer than that um the standout for me was uh pilo aspect as batau thought he was really good um it was a character in the original animated movie that i didn't really have that much attachment to but he was like really just kind of charming and funny and stuff uh where like once he gets his like cybernetic eyes he's like oh yeah i have x-ray vision and everything you're like yeah <laughs> she's like oh how many fingers am i holding up and he's like one and yeah. it's a very obvious middle finger mm-hmm. um and like it was just very cool like he had that relationship with the dogs like the the homeless dogs i thought was great a little basset um hand. and the oh, whole man. time i was just thinking you know this guy would be a really cool under the radar choice for cable I don't know if that's going to happen, but just because of all the cybernetic enhancements, his gray hair, and he just kind of, and like his build, he looked like it. So I was thinking that like the entire movie that it was like, this is a futuristic black widow teaming up with uh, cable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, the rest of the supporting cast, I thought was fine. Nobody really stood out to me. I liked the head of uh, section nine and that police company guy. Yeah. Like, Takesha Kanawu. Yes. Uh, I really liked him, but he's not in it a lot. So, yeah. um, didn't really leave that big of an impression on me. I liked Michael Pitt as the villain Kuze, uh, even though he sounded like Stephen Hawking. So it was kind of kind of distracting yeah. uh, to begin with. But by the end of it, I was not 
like it wasn't distracting anymore. I liked his design and everything. It was really cool. He had a he had a good story. Um, but Johansson, she like I understand she's playing a robot, or like she's playing a cybernetic being, a ghost in a shell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's playing a shell that has a ghost in her, uh, and she just there was not really any emotion from her. So like as a lead following her, I didn't really ever, you know, I just kind of felt she was kind of bland, um, which is something I haven't really ever had that complaint about with Johansson. Like she's given, I had, I got more emotion from her in playing like the snake in jungle book or doing the voice of the AI and her, like there was just different ranges, different tones. This one's very monotone. Like I'm just going to do this and say this and kind of get through this where, it could have been a little more expressive and still felt like, cause it is a human brain inside of a you know robotic body. So yeah. that human expression should still be able to come out. Um, but it didn't ultimately. So I thought that was not as good as it could have been. Um, and there was a lot of controversy around her casting. Um, and we briefly discussed that, you know, in kind of previewing the show mm-hmm. last week, and I said that they shouldn't do one thing and it was exactly what they did. <laughs> and yeah. it just made it very awkward and uh, uncomfortable for me as a viewer from that point on where I'm like, I don't, I don't know why you would make this decision to try to explain the reason behind casting Scarlett Johansson, because I get the political aspect of it where, you know, if, if we don't cast Scarlett Johansson, I probably would not have seen this movie. I mean, maybe if it was the same trailers, I'd be like, okay, that's pretty cool. But I wouldn't have been rushing out to see this movie probably because right. I'm going to this movie because I am a big fan of Scarlett Johansson. So I understand that that's why the studio did that is because it worked. I mean, it helped make, get the movie made. It's not doing great at the box office right now, but it probably is doing better than it would have done if Johansson was not the lead. But at the same time, if you're not giving these opportunities to, you know, Asian Americans or whatever, like then they're never going to reach that point where they can lead this, these types of movies successfully. So it's a very double-edged sword topic and very tough to talk about and handle. And it's, I don't think there's any, I mean, there is a right way. The right way is to not cast a white person, Asian lead. Um, but then who's nobody's going to see the movie. So or, I mean, not nobody, but a lot of people will have less interest in the movie if it was not Johansson. So, uh, it was it was difficult, but it, at, after that reveal, the twist about her character, I was like, I I just don't know how to feel about this anymore. Um, so it's been difficult to try to separate that decision from the rest of the movie. So since I don't really know how to feel about yeah, it, yeah, I know I know what you're saying. Um, I'm gonna give the movie two and a half ticket stubs out of five. Uh, if you are dying to see this movie. I haven't seen it already. I would recommend seeing an IMAX 3D because I do think it helps with the visual aspect of the movie. It doesn't change the story or anything, but from a visual perspective, it makes that at least a little bit more, you know, eye catching and enjoyable and stuff. Yeah. Well, awesome. Okay. Well, I have to agree with you on a lot of this. Um, my praises for it come from, uh, saying how great I thought, uh, Pilo Asback was as Batau. He was, wasn't super, uh, expressive or cool, but he just, he added the humanity to the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when he's just like, can you go feed the dogs? I don't want to scare them. Right. Like, no, what? And then no, they'll Scar- love you. Yeah. Like, dude, you, 
dogs love you for other reasons. And I was like, you know, and I, my, that, that, that had, was in my head, like a ton of the movie. But I did love Chief, and help me out here, a mark, a mark me? I have no idea. Uh, a mark me, whatever. The, the Chief, the head of District 9, Section 9. Yeah. Yeah, District, District 9. 9. Different movie. Crossover, that'd be epic. Uh, uh, absolutely. Drop those Scarlett Johansson ships. against those aliens. Woo. Fantastic. Uh, but he had a small role, but he i was i was glad that he wasn't speaking english he was dubbed and he was able to act well with it and his revolver was in him blowing people away it was so mm-hmm. kicked butt especially you know utilizing the brief, briefcase as a shield in one that scene that was awesome i would love to see him pop up in plenty of other movies cuz i thought he did a fantastic job um, and then yeah i absolutely loved the city the the, the special effects it was it felt like blade runner and sometimes, but almost taking it to the logical level, mm-hmm. how the billboards are giant holograms that are, and there's like this constant capitalism branding and all this stuff. And you see that in elements strewn throughout the city of like, you know, um, the selling of cyber enhancements mm-hmm. and like the one guy gets one for his liver just so he can right. keep drinking nonstop. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, if your liver can't process like it defeated, it defeated the whole purpose <laughs> of alcohol in general and it's just like okay that, doesn't, that, that totally doesn't make any sense but I, I, I dig the idea behind it um, but outside of the special effects and the action which I thought was awesome I think we had like three really great scenes the opening scene after Major you know finally gets her mm-hmm. promotion and her just running along those walls and gliding right. through the battle at the fountainhead and then the final mm-hmm. one, or the reflecting pool, or the, yeah, the yeah. water. And then the spider tank scene. Mm-hmm. Super cool. But outside of that, that was like really it. I mean, there was, I the club scene was cool, but right. it lasted like 10 seconds. Exactly. And then we were done. And then we had a 15 minutes of backstory yeah. that I was trying to follow, and it got confusing. But by the end of it, you know, it got cleared up. But... It, um, as for Scarlett Johansson's performance, um, well, I'll talk about the casting issue when we get to spoilers, I suppose. Yeah. But the her walk as a robot, I thought was great mm-hmm. because it was her her shoulders came forward. It was like everywhere with purpose, and it's like, oh, that's definitely you know like someone that's been built for combat missions right. and things like walking through there. And uh, I was split on her lack of emotion. Because if you are a robot, mm-hmm. do you have emotions or do you not? And how do you portray them, you know, speaking things that we would say with different inflections, but saying them monotonely? Mm-hmm. Like when she's um, confronting, uh, this is a spoiler saying who she talks to, her mother? No. I mean, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. When, she's confronting, when she's confronting that, I thought, I thought that was kind of difficult to portray. Mm-hmm. Like... I'm supposed to know you or I want to feel something, but my body actually physically can't Mm -hmm. express that. I mean, is that the case? I mean, doesn't she cry at the, near the very end of the movie? You see tears well up, but nothing like her face still remains stone cold. Right. But mm, yeah, but that, that last battle is kind of brutal to her. So I feel like that kind of explained why she's not fully functioning, I guess. Perhaps. Yeah. It just depends on how 
the reconstruction process right. goes. Which, speaking of all of that, though, very cool watching the opening sequence right. of the creation of... Um, of her shell. Yeah, of her shell, which was... It felt like watching like the opening of Westworld or something right. like I mean, that. I think that, I mean, that's basically ripped like shot for shot from the original Is it movie. really? Yeah. yeah. And I loved like anytime she would get blown apart, watching them kind of like stretch out mm-hmm. the layers of muscle yeah. and the Well, it seemed like they were like almost like spraying it on her and stuff. Like, yeah. It was very it was, weird. It's all very 3D printing. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of, you yeah. know, that's where we're going with the mm-hmm. world. Very cool. Um, so this is like the second joint venture movie that we've seen this year and it definitely sucked a lot less than the great wall did so (laughs) which is which i mean i say that because i did like the movie but like you said um i don't know if it was because i had a headache through like the the second and third (laughs) act but it did feel you know 10 or 15 minutes too long um and well i'll address the, the casting issue here in a second but at the end of the day i think it's a two ticket stub movie because anything outside of the action and the special effects, there really isn't much there to go right. see. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move into spoilers so we can uh, talk about, I mean, I feel like that's the only thing really to talk about in spoilers is, uh, I mean, I feel like the, I did like the story kind of overall theme of like, okay, well, you know, what is it, you know, where's the line draw before between being like a human and being, uh, you know, a ghost, like, right. Like what, like what makes them different? Like where, like when do you become too much of non-human where you can't really be considered a human anymore? Mm-hmm. Cause all these people are getting like cybernetic enhancements or everything. But anyways, I mean, the issue is they're, they were like saying beforehand about in the lead up to this movie that, okay, we have this explanation about why we cast Johansson. We explain it. So we explain it away. So it's not as bad. Yeah. And at the very end of our episode last week, I said, as long as they don't, don't do something where like they put a Japanese person's brain in a white person's body, they'll be fine. <laughs> and then they did it. Yeah, they, they did it. <laughs> and I was like that. Um, I just don't, I don't know. I don't get from a studio level how you would okay that after all of this controversy. Like, yeah, it just, it sets it up in such a difficult place where then she goes and she, you know, I knew immediately when she went to that apartment Mm-hmm. And that cat started liking. Her. I was like, "Oh my, oh my oh, gosh!" Yep. And like that, that kid's room had been touched. I was like, "Oh no, they're they're actually gonna do it. They're gonna make her a Japanese person, a white person's body." Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they gave her the the name from the original uh, movie, Matoko uh, Kasunagi, I believe. Matoko for sure is right. Um, I know the last name starts with an M, but um, yeah, it's just like I don't, I don't know. It was it was so head scratching why they would make that decision. Where then after that point, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I liked kind of that other twist where her and Michael Pitt's character had known each other before. Like I was like, that's cool because then it adds a layer to that dynamic at the very end where then they're both actually on the run from the head of, uh, Hanky, Hank, Hanker. It's Hank, it's Hank, Hank something. Hanka, Hanka, Hanka Robotics. Yeah. Um, like I liked that, but the whole time I'm just thinking, like they showed like she's having that glitch and like you see like a Japanese girl run out and you're like, oh. yeah, like this just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Like it shouldn't. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like the whole rest of the movie after that point, that's all I was thinking about where then at the very end of the movie, when she visits the grave of Motoko mm-hmm. and then her mom is there and she's like, you don't have to worry about the same one. Then they hug and I'm like, yeah, 
oh and then like she like moves back in with her and like i'm like that just doesn't feel right at all mm-hmm. and it, it and like here's the thing like you, you know you talked about oh they're going to explain it away mm-hmm. and i get the the attempt yes because this is like you think you, like you said earlier this was a split this is a split production movie you needed to have elements of for american interest and mm-hmm. you needed to have some interest for um, the Asian markets. Mm-hmm. And that was the purpose behind the casting. Yes. But if you do that every time in roles that, you know, have their, or I mean, that are Japanese and like, or Asian in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, where do the roles for other actresses or right. actors, you know, depending on the situation come from. Mm-hmm. And, that I can't, my mind went immediately to that as I started thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, that's really disappointing in a letdown. I mean, like, I, that I could understand the the frustration if things right. were reversed at all. And uh, I got to a place near the end of the movie, like, well, the owner of Hanka was white, mm-hmm. so wait, maybe he wanted the robot constructed. I'm like, no, 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 right, no, no, right. no, no, no. I'm falling into the whole this, this dumb yeah. movie trap plot point. And yeah, I just it, it was. It, it wasn't a plot point. It was like a shameless cover up. Yeah. It was like, okay, we have to try to explain it somehow. So let's do this. I feel like they kind of try to do that throughout the whole movie by, okay, well this isn't like, cause the original movie, like it's all Japanese people. Yeah. Like, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one, they're like, okay, well here's, here's a black guy. Here's an Asian only speaks Asian. Here's an Asian who speaks English. Like here's, here's all these different types of people. This, the head of this company is, you know, American or whatever. Like, british i don't know what what he is but like he's white so we're trying to you know diversify like even like her lead doctor is white and like she was fine in the movie like that's not the criticism on her like at all but at the same point like there's no reason why you couldn't i mean there i mean there's political reasons behind why you can't make this a full asian cast because from a studio perspective then or yeah capitalistic maybe more more so than political sure i mean yeah i mean it's yeah uh from that perspective, then, you know, not as many people would see this movie hypothetically. Right. And we're speaking hypotheticals for all this because bottom line is we'll never know because mm-hmm. if you're not giving them these chances, then how will we ever see whether or not they can do this? Yes. So I don't know. It just made me really uncomfortable the whole rest of the way. And like, I, like I liked the world they set up. So like if they announced like a ghost in the shell too, I'd be like, okay, I could I'd be interested to see where this goes, but at the same time, the whole point, whole time I'd just be thinking, why is this the way it is? Because again, like, like you said, like, Oh, maybe the guy, like the head boss was like, okay, well I want all my soldiers to be white, but that's not how it was. Yeah. So like if they're just like painting on her skin color, like just paint her a different color. <laughs> like, you know, like it's like, it's not that difficult. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 so it's super weird. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like I mean, I don't. The 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 only other answer, the answer is to to tell studios, don't worry about your profits. Right. You know, so, which is never gonna happen. Which is never gonna happen. You know, it's kind of like what I was talking about with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I I've I've never been a fan of this. You know, for any period of time. Mm-hmm. So I can't you know imagine the frustration that anyone that grew up reading this or watching it because i think was are they comics too yeah the, yeah there's there's manga and then there's also like the actual 
like animation stuff. Okay, yeah. So I can't imagine what the frustration would be, you know, being a fan of Major and, you know, having that happen to you, you know. So um, especially, you know, yeah, in the light of all the other recent incidents of this happening. Right. Like, so. like I know there's a, uh, like I watched Chris Stuckman's review of this movie. Like he included a video of people in Japan, like being shown a picture, like one of the first photos of Scott Johansson as major. And like, do you, like, do you care that she's white? And like, most of them were like, no, like she looks, she looks like the character. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. It feels more like a manga, like, because she like, she just looks more like a manga or whatever. Like, yeah, like maybe if, I mean, if it's from their perspective and they don't like, they don't care, then I don't know if it should have, like, it shouldn't offend me, I guess. Cause like, yeah. I'm, like, I don't know. Like, it just puts you in, like, the weird position. But at the same time, like, I don't know how every single Asian's going to feel about this. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, I, like, there's been, like, other examples of this. Like, like Great Wall, you put Matt Damon in the front. Um, Iron Fist for Netflix. There was a big, 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 big controversy. Basically, the same level of this. Where, like, why didn't, why'd you cast Finn Jones, a white guy, as Danny Rand? Well, for that one, I'm okay with because... Danny Rand in the comics is white. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get you can update it for the modern day and everything. There's those, there's those debates as well. But he also, when he goes to his, you know, where he goes when he gets his powers and everything, he's an outsider because he's white. So, like, you kind of need that from a story perspective. But that's sure. a totally different discussion. Yeah. Um, but this one, it just, I don't know, it just hit the wrong buttons yeah, for me. Yeah, and I even read one of the producers from uh, one of the Asian production companies, you know, said that we never expected, you know, that they would, you know, cast somebody from here, you know, in that role, because it's an, you know, it'd be, it, mm-hmm. was, it was started as an American production at DreamWorks right. before Paramount picked up, you know, the rights and then they started profit sharing mm-hmm. with other companies. So I can't, like I said, I can't speak to everyone else's feelings, right. but I just know it, I could definitely be frustrating if you were an actress or an actor that, you know, wanted mm-hmm. a role in anything. And then the explanation in the movie probably shouldn't shouldn't have just happened shouldn't have right. happened they could, yeah. I'm sure they could have done it a different I way. mean if you I mean if you don't I mean they changed her name like so it wasn't Motoko when she was before she was like the reveal so she was like um start with a K I can't remember what her name was but yeah. um like they they made that change so like I could I would have been fine if they just didn't address that at all or like this is just who she is and I'd be like okay she's major she's not Motoko so it's it's fine but they decided to try to make that change and it didn't work. So yep. it didn't, it didn't work for me. So that Same hurt here. the movie. I probably would have given it like a th- three or something if all this stuff didn't happen. But I just, it's just so distracting where I got, I don't really want to ever see this movie again. Like, so I don't, that's why it's like a two and a half. Like it's just split down the middle. So that, those are my thoughts on Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, I do have to say, though, I did like seeing um, the team. I, that was much more of a, uh, was much more prominent than I expected to be in the movie. I love seeing them, you know, in the Section 9 mm-hmm. base. And I loved the hologram portrayal, how they're, it almost looked like they were built out of 8 bits. Right. And when they would, you know, form up or melt down, uh, it was really cool to see um, those played out. And I do want to say, uh, I did really like Han Chin. He played um, the other Asian uh, in the in the team. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 
he was also in the Dark Knight as yes. the businessman. Yes. He's, he and then all, I think he was also included in Godzilla too. Maybe. Yes, he was. I just looked it up. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> yes, and I want to see more of him. I do like mm-hmm. I do like him, and I do think he's a great actor. Especially he had to have one. He had one shot as where he pulls the pulls the gun out and shoots over his trench coat and takes down yeah. two people before that was sweet. busting out of there. So I thought that was awesome. Um, so I was definitely about that. But other than that, that exhausts my thoughts on the ghost in a shell. Yes. Awesome. So uh, that's it for this episode, this review. Next week, we're not sure what exactly we're going to review. There's a couple of new releases. We're not sure if we're actually going to get any of them or if we'll actually see any of them. If we don't, our current plan is to do a retro review, which we haven't done in a long time, of the entire Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy um, because... You know, Spider-Man is getting his own solo movie in July. We're getting all this news about the Venom spinoff movie and stuff. We just thought it'd be a fun time to go and revisit those movies, give you guys our thoughts on that and Sony's first adventure with this character. So you can expect that or a review of like Colossal or something next week, but we're yeah. not we're not exactly sure. So stay tuned to find out what exactly we'll be doing. Um, that's it. So during our time, we be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by us at Friends and Film, where you'll receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, you can head to iTunes and give us a five-star review with comments, telling us what we could do great, what we could do better on, so we can improve the show and keep you guys listening and find other new people as well. Um, but that's it. Josh. Thanks for stopping by the pod, everyone. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Be sure to next week for our review.